Shout to the latest internet sensation. Nine. We are two, two. YOLO. Can I say hi? Hi. Seven. I think we need to stick to a plan. Six. I just got bitten by a bullet. I don't even think Five. I have to react to that one. This Four. is Triple M's Summer Breakfast. <laughs> with Seb Costello and Lawrence Marty. How about those West Indies, Lawrence Mooney? They, uh, they're not great. <laughs> but are we great? Oh, we're pretty it, great. It's the Australian way, isn't it, that uh, if we pants somebody, we think that they're particularly weak rather than we're fabulous. Yeah. But uh, the West Indies, not fabulous. No, I mean, you can't have your two fast bowlers complaining to the captain that they don't want to bowl from the southern end because there's a slight incline. Well, it was uphill and into the breeze, so uh, throw on the spinner. So they literally didn't want to push proverbial uphill. So they aren't windies, as it, came, <laughs> as it, turns, as it turns out. <laughs> They don't like it into the wind. Two and a half days. I mean, Hawthorne spend five days a year in Tasmania. <laughs> <laughs> it's not great for Tasmanian tourism, isn't it? No. But uh, So we're one up in the series. Mm. And as it turns out, there's uh, not a lot of uh, sales going on for the Boxing Day test. People no. aren't as interested as they might be. The Herald Sun had a top 10, 10 list yesterday of ways you can get people to the Boxing Day test. Mm-hmm. And I think my favourite was make John Setka the 12th man because at least he'll bring 5,000 others to show up. <laughs> <laughs> that, that is very good. Yeah. Uh, I, I say bring back the Mexican wave. Is that now still illegal at the, at the cricket? Why, and why is it? it? I think it, it certainly got banned for a while because the add-on to the Mexican wave it was began, rubbish in the whatever air. Whatever you had in your hand, throw it yeah. up in the air. Yeah, I remember I was at a one-day international in the mid to late nineties where it all hell just broke loose as a result of the one-day international, and they had to send Shane Warne down to Bay Thirteen as sort of a peacemaker. That is great. So everybody just calm. I think it was against India just or Sri Lanka. Just did a bit of the boundary line in the white UN Jeep <laughs> with his light blue beret on. Exactly. Listen, come on. Oh, Warring parties, can we we have some peace? If we'd sent Warney to Paris, this thing would have been over years ago with Absolutely. the climate change conference. <laughs> Instead, we spent the whole weekend waiting for him to get there. Yeah, and he could have pulled down the climate change conference at 16 cents in the dollar. <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> the only person that had a worse weekend than the West Indies, though, was Jose Aldo, who got knocked out in Las Vegas in 13 seconds. Well, I was just watching it uh, on online on my phone, and the American Express ad before the news clip goes for longer than the fight <laughs> went for. <laughs> he just walks into it perfectly. At least, though, if you do watch, this is UFC 194 in Las Vegas, Jose Aldo, Conor McGregor for the Featherweight Championship. After... Aldo gets knocked out, his right hand still lands on McGregor. So Mm. he did get one shot in, even though he was technically unconscious when it happened. And McGregor clearly knows that he obviously landed a knockout blow, does a lap of honour, then straddles the fence (laughs) in beautiful fashion. So that's... uh UFC 194. What do you think about the numbering system? It You know, we know that now what 194 means, but the old-fashioned way of calling about something that rhymes, you know, the thriller in Manila, the rumble in the jungle, 
you know, give it a bit of a, a title. Yeah, I think it does give it something, you know. Mm. And it has to rhyme in boxing, doesn't it? I mean, you're not just getting it on. You're getting it on because you don't get along. Along, that's right. <laughs> a little bit of poetry would be a, a nice thing. Uh, and how was so. your weekend, Seb? Oh, not too bad. Not too bad. I was down at the Sandringham Yacht Club yesterday <laughs> to welcome in... <laughs> if you don't mind. <laughs> I sit down at the Sandringham Yacht Club, just taking it easy. I might, I might. Have you got a sloop? Uh, no, I was there for a story for nine news. The Page family of four, two kids under ten initially, had gotten home after spending four years living on a boat at sea and travelling the world. Lost or <laughs> no. deliberate? I think, they, I think they knew where they were. They visited 38 different countries. They anchored next to an active volcano. They swam in the ocean with whales and dolphins. Mm. It was a family bonding experience. So very kind of Swiss family Robinson kind of a thing or <laughs> yes. they just cashed up to the eyeballs yeah. and could afford to go away for four years. <laughs> Not sure about that, but it was good to welcome them home. Did you see our newsroom on the way in? I uh, well, I, I spoke to to Pato and Gunners. Exceptional Christmas lighting in there this morning. I haven't seen the lighting. They have put up fairy lights all over the place. It looks like the Geminid meteor shower, which is going to go off from eleven p.m. tonight, and will be peaking between two a.m. and four a.m. Like a lot of the people watching it, because uh, it'll be a very exciting thing to be a part of. That's exactly right. They will be enjoying themselves. But some people don't enjoy putting up the Christmas decorations. I'm glad to see the newsroom does, because it looks spectacular. You know, there's the uh, there's houses all over town that are festooned with lights. They've got Santas on the roof. But for some people, Christmas is just a series of chores, and we want to find out which one that you hate the most. Is it is it putting up the tree? Is it stuffing a turkey? I mean, mm. turkey is a, is a very difficult thing to pull off because you only cook it once a year, don't mm. you? Mm. And, you know, how, how long do you defrost it for? How many days does it sit in the bathtub? How long do you have to cook it? At what temperature? You know, a lot of, lot of pressure, especially, you know, it's like one meal. Um, or is it the shopping cues. We're going to find out which job I hate most very shortly. Just on the shopping, I reckon the past seven days in Melbourne, I've never seen traffic so stuffed during the day. Mm. I don't know if that's because everyone's doing their Christmas shopping, but if, if, have you saw, thought the same thing? One triple three five three. can anyone tell me why it has been so rubbish to get around Melbourne over the past seven days. Yeah. Well, I've done my part uh, for the traffic. I (laughs) sacrificed my licence in a court of law in October. I'm on my bike, so I'm doing my bit. And in the true spirit of the season, it's time to focus on Christmas and that issue of giving. Well, No, not this Christmas. There's very rarely snow in Africa. (laughs) And there's one of the great Christian sentiments of all time coming from Live Aid via Bono. Tonight, thank God it's them instead of you, because that's what it's about. (laughs) We have more than you. No, 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 no. And of course, one of the great lyrics from that uh, song is, they don't know it's Christmas in Africa because it is, of course, the uh, largest Muslim continent on earth. <laughs> yes, they don't know and they don't care. <laughs> <laughs> but good on them. They they raised money for uh, the sick and the dying in Africa during a, a famine. Of course, it's Christmas time and it's 10 sleeps till the big man Jeez. comes down your chimney and makes all your dreams come true. 
Seb Costello. Have you got your list out? Oh, I've got a few things. Wouldn't mind a swag board, actually. Right. The two-wheeled motorised scooter that we've yeah. been zipping around the office with, they're pretty cool. I've seen them by night with the blue lights, and some of them come with the sound system too. What, what parts of sounds? Melbourne are you exploring at night? Well, I'm not, I'm not trawling for... <laughs> On a swag board. <laughs> but, of course, it's Christmas time. There's a lot to be done. Uh, you were talking about how horrendous the traffic's been over the last week. People are out there Christmas shopping, waiting for that car park at Chatty. Because uh, you want one undercover on a hot day, uh, you're queuing for ages. Then somebody snatches it off you. Do you uh, do you get involved in a, a a crime, or do you just give them a bit of Christmas spirit? <laughs> I think you just turn <laughs> the up the one radio. Christmas spirit. In the in the twenty minutes that you're waiting for a car park, six West Indians will lose their wicket. So mm. there'll be plenty to distract you. And uh, then there's the tree. Uh, do you go out to a, a, a tree farm? We actually got ours via Oxfam. A oh, man okay. uh, turned up on the weekend. Dropped it off at the front door, so that's taken care of. Then there's the decorations. But there's one job that shames me, and it shames me on a daily basis, Seb Costello, and that is with the arrival of every Christmas card, I realise that I won't be reciprocating because I'm a kind of biannual, maybe even triannual. I, I sit down and do the Christmas cards, but it's not going to be an annual thing. Mm. And so each Christmas card that arrives, I think, oh, mm. I'm a bad person. Mm. Are you a Christmas card? Have you got a list? I agree. I think that's the toughest job of Christmas mm. is I do try and get cards with every present. Bree insists that I have a card on the present I give her or she won't accept the present itself. That, that, so that's a superfluous card. Mm. No, no, no. Because no. you're there to give the greeting, aren't yeah. you? Yeah, no. I love you, Bree. Here's your... Card has to be there. And Here's it your... is such a difficult job coming up with unique and specific card messages for every single member of the family. Oh, so you just don't sign off, you know, happy Christmas. Right. No, no, I don't, I don't leave the words to Hallmark. I do it myself. I come up with, you know, what have we been through this year? What have we got to be thankful for? And it, I, my hand at the end of it is sore. Mm. <laughs> for more than one reason. <laughs> and then I get on to writing the Christmas cards. Uh, give and us have, a- you got a, have you got a, your own personalised uh, address sticker? That is on the back there, because some charities send you a sheet of your, you know, your name and address, and then they want you to pay them. It's a goodwill gesture. <laughs> yeah, and oh. I, I often do. Uh, I, I always get a bunch of Christmas cards from the charity, the artists that uh, paint with their feet. Mm. I, I'm not too sure what the charity's called. Maybe it's called artists that paint with their feet. But I always make sure that I pay for those cards, even though I'm never going to send them. But uh, it's one of the jobs of Christmas that I hate. I don't want to do it. You know how I one of the it. you know great expressions of Christmas is the look on a child's face when they unwrap the wrapping paper yes. and there is the toy that they've been waiting for? Mm. There's another great expression at Christmas is the look on the child's face when mum and dad is trying to teach him about charity and they give him the postcard that's bought four goats in Africa through Oxfam yeah. and they don't quite get that there's a higher power, that there's a higher good being done here. All they see is rather than a swag board, I've got a postcard. Yeah, mm. with four goats on it. <laughs> and also the very uh, particular uh, ability to look uh, happy when you open a present that is quite crap. Mm. To do the, oh, that is, that's lovely. That is going to be re-gifted. Thank you. What's the job at Christmas that you hate the most? One triple three five three. Give us a call. Hit us up on Twitter at MMM Hot Breakfast. What Christmas job do you hate the most? Wrapping 
dozens and dozens of gifts is pretty mm. exhausting. Mrs. Mooney, uh, Lou is an amazing rapper. Uh, <laughs> she wears bling. She's got grills. No, she uh, really takes great pride in her present wrapping. She's got the ribbon. She's got so much wrapping paraphernalia. But uh, I myself have never been a great rapper. Mm. Oh, it's actually quite hard to do, I reckon. Mm. Like, you know, I end up always having little triangles of crunkled paper out on the corners because I haven't quite smoothed it over. So I'm always saying to the guy at Chadston, do you want gift wrapping? Yes, I certainly do. Yeah, yeah. I love the gift wrapping option. Yeah. I'll take it every time. Mark at Mooney Ponds, what Christmas job do you hate the most? Hey, guys. I hate, um, I always get stuck doing the prawns, peeling the prawns and uh, having that... Uh smelly prawn fingers for the rest of the day. Yeah, it's a, I've got to say, first world problem there, Mark. Oh, it's such the old, a... The old it's pretty labour intensive, though. Oh, yeah, exactly. To get the spine with the excrement in it is <laughs> quite difficult to do. And tails on or off, uh, uh, I always, I always take the tails off. Otherwise, I get a few complaints. So I, yeah. yeah, I yeah. think there needs to be an enterprise bargaining agreement for every peel prawn peeler in the family. Mm. Hayden at Geelong, what Christmas job do you hate the most? Uh, the, oh, everything about Christmas I love. The worst part about Christmas is pulling the tree down and packing away all the decorations. Spot on. Mm. And uh, do you observe the 12 days of Christmas or do you let it linger on into January almost? Well, look, we, it, normally it's about two or three pro, three-day process to pull the tree down. You get it all boxed away and yep. then in the corner you always find one or two little decorations that you've missed and that's every year. And you usually find them by stepping on them. Definitely. And yeah. it gives you just a little mm. poke in the shoe. <laughs> David Worry Alec, what Christmas job do you hate the most? Definitely has to be buying the presents. Mm. Um, Pressure. Nothing worse. Nothing worse. You're getting something from mum. You've got her the worst perfume for the last four years. You know you've got to stuff it up. She pretends like she loves it, but deep down, you know, it's a stinker. Yeah. She's, ne she's never been a big fan of Red Door, and you keep going back... Oh, uh, yeah. Who would who would have thought she wouldn't like the Ode to One Direction? <laughs> it was on special at Target. Jim at Altona, what is the Christmas job you hate the most? G'day, guys. Like uh, Lawrence, my wife's the ultimate rapper, so I'm not allowed to do this anymore. But mm. uh, I used to go to Safeway, or Woolies, back in the day with Safeway, and buy a roll of Camelco Alfoil. Yeah. I'd, I'd do all my wrapping in Camelco Alfoil and then scratch a nice little message into the into there very lightly because you can't go too heavy or you'll rip it. That is good. Ingenuity. Yeah, oh, mate, it was a, a, a counter for the card and the Christmas message and the wrapping, so it was a three-in-one, mate. It was just gold. Yeah, and you don't need any sticky tape either. Absolutely <laughs> not because it, it does it all itself, mate. It is ingenious. <laughs> Jim, did you ever think just to hang on to the alfoil and use it to wrap up the leftovers at the end of Christmas lunch? Uh, yeah, absolutely, mate. <laughs> I, I, was, I was single living on my own, so I used to put everything in it, wrap it all up and take it home with me at the end of the day. <laughs> Wrapping paper, a backpack. <laughs> well done, Jim. Gina at Dingley, what Christmas job do you hate the most? Well, I do consider it a big job, and that's putting up with the family every Christmas. Oh, yeah. Because you love your family, and they love you, but they are the worst people, aren't they? Yeah, usually a bit of uh, you know, a bit of uh, bullying, a bit of violence, a bit of uh, my sister trying to stab my brother with a turkey knife, and uh, right. yeah, someone going home crying. Normally, a traditional traditional Christmas. Um, <laughs> <laughs> all ex all exacerbated with about three or four beers too. Mm. Beautiful work, Gina. Well, we don't drink at our family Christmas, don't you? Yeah, no, because uh, we have a priest there, of course, and uh, and my grandfather, who's sort of the patriarch of the family at ninety six, he doesn't drink. So yeah, 
Makes for a very boring afternoon, well, Lawrence. That would be a long <laughs> Christmas. <laughs> and we still get the turkey knives out. I'm, I'm shocked that there's a family that doesn't drink at Christmas time. <laughs> the Costellos. <laughs> You're welcome to come join us this year. <laughs> no, thanks. <laughs> and the honeymoon is over, Lawrence. The Golden State Warriors have been beaten 108.95 by the Milwaukee Bucks. Did we moz them by speaking to Andrew Bogart and saying, God, you know, you're going to go very close to the all-time record. They were shooting 22 wins in a, in a row. Yeah, 33 was going to be the record. They got to 24, which is a pretty good effort. Well, I don't know if we can blame ourselves because after we spoke to Andrew Bogut, they took on the Boston Celtics in the Boston Garden. They beat them 124 to 119 in double overtime. I noticed that you're wearing your Celtics top today too. Yeah, they were very – I was quite says, proud of our Celtics. puffing his chest out. Yeah, that's it. Just getting it out there. But uh, some tremendous – Games from Steph Curry and Draymond Green, who had 24 points, 11 boards, 8 assists for the Warriors against the Celtics. And then Bill Simmons, who's quite a well-regarded U.S. basketball commentator, made the comment that after a game of that intensity against Mm -hmm. Boston, it was always going to be hard to back it up about 24 hours later against the Milwaukee Bucks. And that's what's happened. But Steph Curry says it hasn't dented the team's confidence. We're very confident. That's, that's what got us here. You know, we have an opportunity to go out there and play our, our best game and get a win. And tonight was no different. It's just, you know, Milwaukee played well. They played with a lot of energy. We just didn't make enough plays to, to come out of here, you know, with the victory. But they've still smashed the all-time record for the best start to an NBA season. And I think a, a, a loss after a long run like that is a, a good sobering thing. It'll just fire them up to carry on their uh, merry way. And obviously nothing can really stop them. Or do you think there's something that can stop them? Oh, his name's LeBron James, mm. and his Cleveland Cavaliers will go pretty close. You, you, you're pack, backing the Cavaliers. And I like the Cavs. Yeah, I, I do. But we'll see what happens as the NBA season unfolds. 13 seconds is all it took for Conor McGregor to knock out Jose Aldo yesterday in Las Vegas. Yeah, like I said earlier, I was watching uh, watching the fight on my phone and the uh the American Express ad went for a couple of seconds longer than the fight itself. <laughs> it was a beautiful left hand, and uh, as Jose was going forward, he did land a glove on Conor McGregor, but uh, it was all over, and everyone knew that uh, when you're heading towards the canvas with your arms by your side, you're done. By this stage, I'd gotten home from the Sandringham Yacht Club yesterday, mm, Lawrence. And- down at Sandringham. <laughs> Just hoisting the spinnaker <laughs> into a stiff breeze. I don't even know what that means. And we were in the newsroom. Hoisting and- the spinnaker is not a euphemism. <laughs> but a stiff breeze isn't either. And we were in the newsroom and one of the tech gurus in there had found a stream of the fight, which I don't ask any questions. Because that's pay-per-view, isn't I it? I can only assume that he'd paid something online and that's how we were watching it on his computer. And we're all sitting there and everybody has looked at me because I'm sort of the UFC guru around the office mm. because if you watched it in real time, it basically looked like Jose Aldo had slipped over and just fallen at the feet of Conor McGregor and, you know, the fight would continue, he'd get up. But no, when you slowed it down, left hand hard into the mm. face of Jose and that was it. I'm still not happy with the UFC Almost tradition of once the person's on the canvas, jumping on top of them and giving them a few more fists to the head or face. Mm. It's not right. Yeah, it's a lot of responsibility on the referee there. But the highlight of UFC 194 over the weekend was Holly Holm, who won the Women's Championship here in Melbourne a few weeks ago. And she had a Q&A. And we know how the Irish like to sing. 
And a Conor McGregor fan made his way to the front of the queue to ask a question. And rather than asking a question, he serenaded Holly Holm. You're just too good to be true. I can't take my eyes off of you. Sounds pretty good. You feel like heaven to touch. I want to hold you so much. And as love has a vibe, I thank God. And it gets really good when the crowd gets into it. Keep it going, hyphen. Here they go. Uh, that is an awesome rendition. Uh, a song made very famous by which particular movie from 1982? Ooh, so it's Frankie Valli. Yes, originally, of course, the song was you know big in its own right. Then it was uh, reintroduced via the Deer Hunter <laughs> with uh, Robert De Niro and Meryl Streep. Was it yeah. really? Yeah, Did fantastic they dance Vietnam. To it? I, I've it's seen a, it's parts a, it's, of the it's Deer a Hunter. It's a bar before a bunch of guys go to Vietnam and they're yeah. they're all standing around singing and drinking. Um, Conor McGregor's story is an amazing one. If people don't know about his story, how he decided to just become a UFC fighter. Pack up and leave and, and head off. Yeah. And his press conferences are much more entertaining than his fights. Australia defeated the West Indies on the weekend in Hobart. In two and a half days, we won by an innings and 212 runs. And joining us, Triple M's cricket expert, Mark Waugh. Good morning. G'day, guys. How are you? Do the West Indies players like each other? I mean, we were reading on the weekend how Jerome Taylor and Kemar Roach refused to bowl from the southern end because it was uphill and it was into the wind. And we've heard all sorts of rumblings about arguments. Then you watch that second innings where you know none of them really had a crack at all. Is there actually serious problems in this camp? Well, it wasn't pretty, to put it that way. The, the mm. performance is you know, way below test standards. So I'm not sure whether they like each other or not, but um, they've got a long tour ahead of them if they're going to play like that in the last two Test matches. So disappointing, I thought, uh, obviously for the crowd and the spectators and and the series, because um, you like to see a competitive, um, you know, game of cricket. Uh, Australia did very, very well, but you'd like to see the West Indies show a bit more fight. I think that'd be the, the first thing. You'd start with, you know, a bit more commitment, a bit more spirit, and uh, go from there. Yeah, fight, fight is the thing, and you do want to see a competitive series. Uh, back page of The Age today, Mark, it says, the crowd for the first day of the Boxing Day test could be the event's lowest in 16 years. So is this bad for cricket? Um, look, it's, it's bad for cricket when you get a, a, you know, an iconic you know, cricketing nation like the West Indies um, you know, playing the way they're playing because you need a strong West Indian team uh, in world cricket. They're, they're, you know, through the 80s and 90s, you know, they were the benchmark, and, Mm. I, I loved watching the West Indies play when I was a youngster and I was lucky enough to play against the greats like Viv Richards and those sorts of guys. And, you know, it was always a big contest playing the West Indies. So, you know, it's it's something that needs to change. Um, you know, the administration and obviously the attitude of some of the players needs to change because, you know, you need them strong. And obviously Boxing Day is you know, an iconic um, sporting event in Melbourne and Australia. So, you know, we don't want to see it slip to a... A new low, an all-time low. So well, hopefully the people will still turn out. Um, you know, you might be able to see David Warner smash 150, or mm. or you know one of the James Pattinson, the local Victorian, take five for 20. So you know there's still going to be some quality cricket there. It's just a matter of 
for how long it goes for, I guess. Ashley Mallett wrote on the weekend that he would like to see test cricket divided into two divisions. So it would be on merit there'd be sort of six or seven nations in each division. So if a side like the West Indies is going so poorly that they're in the second division, Australia wouldn't actually play them in test cricket in a 12-month period. What do you think of that suggestion? Yeah, look, it's been spoken about a few times in the last um, three or four years. Um, I'd have to have more of a think about it because... Um, you want size to improve, and the only way to improve is probably to play better opposition. So, I mean, would the West Indies, would it be better for them if they're playing Zimbabwe and teams like that? They're Scotland. just not going to improve. Um, yeah. I mean, they might win a game, but they're not going to improve. <laughs> I don't know about that second division idea, because who wants to watch two crappy sides <laughs> battle it out? Well, you, you'll, get a, you'll get a competitive game, that's one thing, but... Um, yeah, I don't know. There's things to think about for the administrators. I'll just stick to selecting because it's too complicated being yeah. an administrator. Good call. Enough about the West Indies, though. Let's celebrate what we did well. And Adam Voges, 269, a terrific knock. And a man who is just like the fine wine, better with age. Yeah, he did it easy, too. He never looked like getting out. So, I mean, he's been great ever since he got picked, actually, um, you know, last Oh, probably you know last year against against the West Indies he made a hundred on the boo. Um, so he's it wasn't last year it was early in the year. Mm. He's been excellent. I mean it's great to see Sean Marsh um, back up. You know he made forty nine in the Adelaide Test and won us a game. Great to see him back up with a big hundred. So there were some great performances by our players. I mean you can only play against the, the players that front up against you. So you know it's, even though. You know, the quality wasn't there to play against. You know, our boys still play well, and sometimes it's not that easy when there's not that sort of that competitive nature out in the middle. You can easily sort of just drop your guard a bit, but our boys didn't, and that's probably going to be the only danger in the last two test matches that we, you know, get complacent. And, Mark, the last one, Usman Kawaja wants to be fit for Boxing Day. Does he come in? And if so, who comes out? Mate, well, we haven't picked the team officially yet, so I can't. Can't give you a scoop. That that's, uh, oh. that's straightforward. But um, Usman Kawaja, if he's fit, then you know he he, he will play. You know, I, I imagine he will play, and it's going to come down to probably you know unfortunately someone's going to have to miss out. That's going to be unlucky. You know, either Joe Burns or or Sean Marsh. I mean, that's probably um, one of those two are the likely ones to miss out. But having sat, we haven't sat down with the selection panel yet and, and nutted it out. But um, yeah, someone's going to be unlucky. I mean, that's it's a good spot to be in to have so many players in form. Um, yeah, it's great. Certainly like it, but yeah, it's it's going to be a tough one on someone uh, box, come Boxing Day. Mark Wall, we look forward to talking to you before the Boxing Day test, and thanks for wrapping up Hobart for us. Okay, no worries, guys. Good on you. Friday night, uh, I headed up to the Murray River, Seb, to do a, a gig in Echuca. My old stomping ground. Classic <laughs> Rock, 1025 Pakenham Street, Echuca. I was the breakfast host up there. And so you would know what Echuca means. Uh, it is the Indigenous word for... For... for you, um, you hosted... The for, Victorian for version of Moama. <laughs> no, it, uh, it's meeting of the rivers, where the Campaspe and the Murray... Marry up. Mm-hmm. Um, so I went up there for the Young Dairy Network, dairy farmers from all over uh, southern New South Wales, northern Victoria, and the Murray region got together. Now, I'd heard that there was a, a bit of a succession problem in the, the farming industry, and the average age of farmers was in the high 50s. bunch of young men and women, good people, obviously struggling through a drought in central Victoria particularly, um, but, you know, had a great time with them. And uh, I th- you know, thought about the dairy farmer up very early, like ourselves on 
commercial radio, but they actually work for a living, <laughs> you know, <laughs> milking cows. And, uh, and I'm a fan of dairy. I was saying, I love your cheese and I love your yogurt and I like milk as well. And then I thought, there is no product, there is no agricultural product inside the home whose, uh, when it goes missing, can bring a house to its knees quicker than milk. If there's no milk, people all of a sudden just lose their minds, don't they? I'll have a cup of tea. We haven't got milk. Got to go to the shop. When you go out, don't forget the milk. We've already got milk. Get some more. You've got to get the milk. It's a vital ingredient in the household. Is there is there anything you can name when it's missing can cause more mayhem than when milk is not there? Only the television remote, but that's in a different category of items. And I don't think it's harvested in the country. <laughs> Is, is it grown organically? <laughs> no, that's a good point. But you're right. Milk's the only grocery item that you would justify a trip to the supermarket solely to retrieve that. Absolutely. And when you go to the supermarket, if you've bought extra milk and there's already milk in it, no one's got a problem with you buying more milk. So that is the lesson <laughs> today. Get to the supermarket, get some milk, don't run out of milk. And a big day for thousands of VCE students with the results coming out today. Yes, a bit of a nervous wait last night. For me, back in the uh, good old days, yes. heat wave in 1982. Uh, in fact, it was the beginning of uh, 83 because you had to wait till January and they came out via post. So as the postman delivered the HSC results and uh, I cleaned up with a sweet 253, um, <laughs> which was not a great score Okay, out of a possible 450. But mm. I did pass. I didn't go on to university, though, Seb. And uh, that's the thing that a lot of people today will be waiting on those results to see whether they get into the course that they wanted and then go on to, you know, uh, decide what direction they're going to go on in life. And uh, what I want to say to those people that don't get what they want today is you don't need to go to university to be valuable contributors to society. Because, you know, you went to university and uh, I didn't, but we're both in the same spot today. <laughs> yes. Making what some may consider a valuable contribution. Uh, if only. <laughs> so, you know, if there was a, if there's a boat, uh, you know, <laughs> it's Armageddon and there's only limited seats on the boat and, uh, and I rock up and they go, sorry, mate, we don't need a comedian slash actor slash part-time radio presenter in our new utopia. <laughs> But, uh, you know, if there was a builder or, I mean, even a garbo, you need a garbo. Like, there's lots of ways of making a contribution. So, uh, it, you know, give us a call. Then uh, this is kind of going out to the VCE students today. Give us a call. Tell us, if you didn't go to uni but you're still making a valuable contribution, tell us how you're making that contribution, you know, whether you get a seat on the boat or not. Take me back to that warm day back in, I'm guessing, December of 1982. And when the letter arrived, what did you do afterwards? How did you commemorate this momentous day in the life of Lawrence Mooney? Well, it was uh, back in the days when you used to have to put film into a camera rather than just hold up a phone. And so, uh, you know, the old Instamatic was got out <laughs> and uh, there's a couple of photos of me in the lounge room in Bayswater holding the certificate proudly in front of my... Uh, Red Adidas T-shirt and uh, a couple of blurred snaps were taken. So that's uh, how we how we celebrated. Um, I hadn't turned uh, eighteen yet, so there was no beer, uh, just a couple of lemonades. And you wouldn't have touched it throughout that year of academic <laughs> excellence either. I wouldn't imagine there was uh, at the end of the school year a, uh, a beer and chicken breakfast in Westfolds Park out in Templestowe. Um, was this the muck up day of nineteen? Yeah, the kind of muck up day, and then we get on. In Lexi Gams's Valiant and went down to the Oval and did donuts. 
much to the chagrin of uh, <laughs> Father Keas, the principal. <laughs> Where, where's Lexi these days? Uh, he is actually working uh, in Fitzroy at uh, a mission, looking after good on him uh, homeless and marginalised people. So good on you, Lex, if you're listening, and uh, thanks for taking us <laughs> down onto the Oval in what was. Uh, Affectionately called the dart. Mm. Ooh, okay, we'll delve deeper into that a bit later. But yeah, give us a call if you got your VCE results today. Let us know all about it. Or if you didn't do so well on this day for you and you've still been able to you know, make it to where you want to get to, that's worth celebrating as well. VCE results day, Lawrence. Remember, my VCE results came down the phone line. Right. It wasn't text message back in those days. When, but when did you say uh, like... Internet phone line. <laughs> no, it was a bit like when you have to ring up to make a complaint okay. to Telstra. It was, you know, put in your student number after the hash key and you dial in and the suspense of seem... the animated voice would come down the line. You seem like a bright young man. How did you go at, in VCE? I was pleasantly surprised. And then the celebrations came, which mm. was not unlike you and Lexi doing donuts in the Oval <laughs> down there uh, in Bayswater back in 82. We had, uh, but by, I came in just as the whole muck up day thing was going out of fashion. Right. No, it's basically dead. This is how sort of it developed over time. When I was in year seven, I came home smelling like a chicken farm because I'd been belted with so many eggs from the year 12s driving up and down Auburn Road on the way to Kerry Grammar. Mm. And then seven years later, we weren't allowed to throw eggs, which felt quite unjust at the time. No, at its height, muck-up day ended, you know, Teachers' cars were being flipped over, and all sorts of crazy things were Wouldn't happening. Wouldn't endorse that in yeah. a million years. But the, <laughs> I guess the message, part of the message is today, of course, that you know if you didn't do as well as you thought you might, there's plenty of hope because you know we took a straw poll of the office, and mm. plenty of people working in a job that they love, you know, which had nothing to do with how they went at high school. Alan at Blackburn, is that sort of the uh, tale for you? Uh, it certainly is, mate. Yeah, definitely. So, so tell us about where you are today. Yeah, well, um, I'm doing pest control at the moment, so if it wasn't for people like me, you'd be elbow deep in rodents and neck deep in cockroaches. <laughs> <laughs> we do work in radio, Alan, so I'll just uh, throw that out there. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I went to a tech school, so a lot of your listeners probably wouldn't even know what a tech school is. So. No, they're all called colleges now, aren't they? But once upon a time, it was a high school or a tech school. Which tech did you go to, Alan? Uh, I was a good Catholic boy. I went to St. Joe's Tech in uh, Abbotsford. Right. And... and uh, and the world needs to kill cockroaches. Well, certainly do, mate. Tell you, tell you right now. Uh, Ed at Mill Park, did you uh, end up where you wanted to get to, despite perhaps not dominating the VCE results day? Yeah, I definitely did. I uh, had a choice when I went to Box Hill Tate to either continue on going to RMIT to get a Bachelor of Civil Engineering or join the military. So I joined the military and 10 years later, there I am. Oh, fantastic, mate. And you're still uh, a serviceman? Yeah, I am. I'm actually going to uh, be uh, moving on soon and going back to uni after all this time. And uh, what uh, area of the forces are you in? Uh, Army. Army, and, and what do you do in the Army? Army engineers. Army engineers. So you got the engineering done? Got the engineering, got to play with explosives at least, and now I'm <laughs> moving on to the building side of the house. <laughs> That's right. Blow it up and then build it again. I reckon Ed and Alan could go into business together. We could have explosive pest control. Oh, that'd be good. <laughs> I'd love to see a rat just... Now, Lawrence, the reason I'm playing you this is because this evening a meteor will be very, very close to Earth 
just like it was in 1998's Armageddon. The Geminid meteor <laughs> shower will, well, will create the celestial fireworks display of the year, according to The Age. And to tell us more about it, the astrophysicist physicist from Swinburne University, Alan Duffy, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. What is the Geminid meteor shower? This is a whole series of shooting stars that occur every time, right this time of year. Uh, it comes from the direction of the Gemini constellation, the twins, mm-hmm. for those of you who love your zodiac. And that's, uh, that's going to be basically on the northern, uh, northeastern um, edge of the horizon tonight. And that occurs pretty much this time every year. But this time, we don't have a moon that will get in the way and will outshine those, uh, those streaks of, of light as bits of this meteor come crashing into Earth. So, uh, for, for I love a bit of a stat. So, we've got one meteor, bits of it are breaking off and, and hitting the, the atmosphere and flaming up. How big are the bits? Like, you know, if they busted through, are they as big as a car or a tram? Oh, this, is, this one's entirely safe. Uh, they're little bits of, of really just dust or, you know, pebbles at most. This right. is all coming up from the um, an asteroid that's going around the sun. It, it gets a bit cooked as it gets closed, cracks, and this is a debris trail that gets left behind, and we just slam into it at uh, about 100,000 kilometers per hour. Right. So every time. We're, we're driving into it like a car driving into a bug. Yeah, yeah, but a bit more majestic and spectacular, but yeah. That's <laughs> so yeah, well, tell us what exactly is it going to look like if we look to the heavens just after 11 tonight? So you'll be able to see uh, these shooting stars, so streaks of bright white light coming in across uh, from low on the horizon towards the north. At its peak, as the night wears on, you might even see uh, a couple per minute. It's, it's going to be as many as that, and that's a real exceptional Meteor shower. I was even up uh, last night having a little look, see if it was coming in early, and there was already a few uh, shooting stars. So that's a great sign that we're in for a, a treat. Now, like a, uh, a soccer fan preparing for the World Cup, Alan, do you go to bed early and then get up at 11, <laughs> or are you going to go right through with some Red Bulls and a couple of coffees? Yeah, look, I've still got a function at work the next day, so I'm going to be, uh, I'll just be going until about midnight, I reckon, and um, I'll have to leave leave the early hour oh. for the aficionados. And look, I've already got Star Wars coming up, which is going to be <laughs> 3 a.m. that night. It is a big week for those looking to the heavens. I find myself wondering, Alan, if, given that this happens sort of on a semi-regular basis, do you suspect that possibly some of the quote-unquote UFO sightings we hear about over the journey could be the Geminid meteor shower or some of its similar uh, displays? Yeah, there's no doubt uh, some of these uh, UFO sightings are, you know, as the name implies, unidentified flying objects. These are mm. can be really quite bright streaks of light, completely out of the blue. And you know, people are correctly saying, "Well, that's that's a bit weird, and that's worth uh, looking at a bit further." Um, the challenge then comes from when you get uh, actual sightings of little green men who always seem to look like something from a, a Star Trek show. <laughs> Seems a bit weird. Evolution would give you that, but. Look, at the end of the day, this is a, um, a fantastic night show, and I, and I hope that any of the listeners just, just have a little look up towards the north, and uh, hopefully they'll be rewarded. Mm, so find yourself a vantage and look out towards the northeast. Is it northeast? Yep. 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 Northeast from about 10-ish, 10.30, and then as the night goes on, just ever more north and west. And finally, just off topic a little bit, Alan, uh, life on other planets, yes or no? <laughs> yes. 
Almost certainly, but they've never visited us. Right. But. Okay. <laughs> Almost certainly, and that comes directly from the astrophysicist at Swinburne University. Thanks a lot, Alan. Thanks for having me. I like that a lot. The Geminid Media Shower could mm. be responsible for the sightings. Absolutely, and who knows? Uh, there, there is life out there. You heard it here on Summer <laughs> Breakfast. We're breaking the big news. The truth is out there. Just to commemorate Armageddon, once <laughs> the most famous asteroid that ever put Earth under threat. Let's have one more go at Aerosmith. Don't want to miss a mm. thing. Thanks to the world heavyweight champion, Tyson Fury. I can lay you awake just to see you breathing. Watch you smile while you were sleeping. Why you That's far awful. away <laughs> and dreaming? I could spend my life in the sweet surrender. All I can say, Lawrence, is thank goodness the Geminid media shower wasn't last weekend or else there'd be some very confused people at the Stereosonic Music Festival. <laughs> and it's a new dawn at St Kilda. Mm. The Saints heading back to Moorabbin, where they played their last home game in 1992. And joining us from St Kilda, the CEO, Matty Finnis. Good morning. Morning, Seb. How are you? A happy day for Saints fans yesterday with the announcement that Moorabbin is back. Yeah, uh, I think some were saying best Christmas present ever. <laughs> <laughs> so, no, we've been, we were really pleased. Um to be able to be down there yesterday with the with the Minister of Sport John Aaron um, uh, and the state governments, um, you know, pledge yesterday of funding uh, allowed this to become a reality. So, uh, what is the the what is the redevelopment that'll happen down there? How big is it, Matt? Yeah, Lawrence, it's a it's a pretty unique um, opportunity because what we're doing is we've partnered with um, the local football, the kind of the, the pipeline of talent. Um, to build this integrated facility. So the South Metro Juniors, which is the biggest junior footy league in, in the country, um, the Southern Football Netball League, the Sandringham Dragons and the Saints will all be housed at a redeveloped Moorabbin. Um, mm. That'll also have social and retail facilities, indoor sports courts and aquatic facilities. So it's it's really Moorabbin reimagined, if you like, and, um, and, and yeah, we just couldn't be more excited. Now, uh, when places are redeveloped, often uh, a sacred spot in the ground is, you know, a, a focal point. So that area between the races, affectionately known as the animal enclosure, will that be focused on? Uh, I think a plaque just to commemorate just the animal com- enclosure. Yeah. Some, yeah. some old photos Maybe from a, yesteryear. a bronze fist hitting a bronze <laughs> jaw. <laughs> Uh, no, look, I mean, it's, whether it's the, the animal enclosure or, you know, some, someone's thinking it's best about the old disco. Um, I don't oh, know yes. the disco. Where Jacko used to put uh, burning cigarettes in uh, committee men's <laughs> suit pockets. A bronze Molly Meldrum, a Kubra-style hat at the entrance to the disco. I'll tell you what, we can we can laugh, but what, it's really important that we actually capture, you know, that magic in the yeah, way in which yes, we, we redevelop it. and. Uh, and and that's something which we're you know we're really keen to do in, in terms of the, the way that permeates I guess the place. Um, uh, we can't. But it's not all looking back, but certainly capturing that that emotion, which I think footy you know risks losing a little bit at, at times yeah. these days. And so how we 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 make that a place that that people want to come and and visit and bring their kids along to and and you know really connect with the club. Absolutely vital that that emotional stuff is there and history and legacy. Indeed. Yeah, now, uh, yeah. obviously, you know, the AFL games are sort of locked in at Eddie Had in the G, but St Kilda are moving towards a standalone VFL side. Matty, would the Saints VFL side or whatever the second tier competition looks like in a few years, would that play at Moorabbin? 
Yeah, that's the plan, Seb. So the idea being that um, the AFL team trains there, the VFL team plays there, um, the TAC Cup would play on alternate weeks, um, and uh, you know who knows, you might be able to play some pre-season, you know, NAB Cup games. Uh, the, the Bulldogs did that this year at Widnova, which I thought was a great success. Um, so you know, the opportunities for, for fans to come and see the you know the Saints, the red, white, and black running around back on Linton Street is, is definitely part of uh, where we're going with this. And uh, especially back in the old stomping ground, surrounded by you know the Bayside fans down there. Now let's talk pre-season. Jay Carlisle seems to have. Uh, knuckled down and got back into it. How is, how's everything going for the pre-season? No, it's going well, Lawrence. Um, the guys had a camp in Queensland uh, in the heat. They worked really hard. The younger guys came back. We sent them down to service last week with the Navy. And, and uh, yeah, they were up in the middle of the night and you know, into the mud during the day, up on the high, the high wires in the morning. So, um, yeah, they've been really busy and, and they're back for about another eight, nine days and then they have a Christmas break. But, uh, you know, Jake's put his head down and, and mm. you know, his focus has just been, you know, to win the kind of trust and confidence of his teammates and, and uh, yeah, he, hasn't, he hasn't put a foot wrong in the last few weeks mm. to do that. So, yeah, it's terrific. That is good stuff. And looking forward to season 2016, some real signs of hope for the Saints, some real disappointing performances from Lawrence and I's perspective against the Bombers, beating us by close to 100 points or a little bit more. What's the goal for the side for this, the uh, season 2016? Um, well, I, I try and avoid the jargon, uh, Seb, but you know, we're not putting any limits on what we can achieve next year. But you know, certainly coming off what six and a half wins this year, you know, we, we saw what the Bulldogs did, you know, in in, in this year in taking mm. a big step up, and and certainly, yeah, you know, our focus has, has has been a lot like that. But what our guys know is that you know, if, if we can improve to the same level that we did this year, um, then we'll be thereabouts. And uh, and you know, importantly, we don't feel like the coaches need to coach effort anymore. The guys have they've brought that to the table. They they demonstrated consistently that competitiveness. Mm. And now it's about being able to, you know, really fine tune a game plan which you know, allows us to be, to be competing and, and winning more games of footy. And uh, with Christmas coming up, if you know a Saints fan, of course, a membership is a great Christmas gift idea. What's your target for memberships for 2016, Matt? Uh, well, we've, we've, um, we'd like to, to get to 40,000 if we can next year, which um, would be you know, a, a huge step up on this year. But you know, it's announcements like yesterday that I think rekindle some of that passion that people have for footy clubs. So um, we'd love it if, uh, if supporters can get on board and, and get, uh, get in touch with the club and, and secure membership before Christmas. Saintsmembership.com.au or 1300 Go Saints. Matty Finnis, the CEO of the St Kilda Footy Club. Good to chat on Triple M. Thanks for having me, guys, and have a Merry Christmas. News doesn't get any better for the West Indies. Marlon Samuels, one of their more experienced players in this mm. test side, has just been handed a 12-month bowling ban by the ICC for an illegal action. The assessment was done in Brisbane a few weeks ago and it was looking into an umpire's report in the West Indies' first test defeat against Sri Lanka back in October and it was decided that Samuels' elbow extension exceeded 15 degrees. Chucker. Chuck that's, Samuels. That's, <laughs> that's that's what he's known as now. We've got a person in the newsroom whose surname is Tanty, and Chucker is his nickname. Right, Flows because quite because of his action. No, no, just Chucker oh, Tanty. Oh, I get it. I see. Works quite nicely, and he's nice. one of the calmest, most mild mannered professional people in the mm. world. But yeah, just when you thought you know it wasn't going that well, who's going to bowl now? That Roach and Taylor refused to bowl from the southern end because of wind and incline, and now Samuels can't bowl because of the ICC saying his elbow extends fifteen degrees. And uh, it's kind of a sad indictment when you look back at the halcyon days of holding Garner, 
Roberts. I mean, their their pace attack was second to none, very intimidating. And you've got to ask yourself, what has gone wrong with the Windies? Because, you know, they're physically imposing, but they just haven't got that killer instinct that that uh, team of yesteryear had. And they were pretty good after hours too, the West Indian teams back in the day. Well, I reckon yeah. it's getting so dire, this could be the first West Indian outfit to go home alone after a big <laughs> night down there in Hobart. That bad. <laughs> this is exactly. Yeah. I wonder if this, you know, could, there was always footage uh, of the West Indian team um, dancing. There was always a bit of disco shot, you know, and they really knew how to move. With the tin drums. <laughs> yeah. And dancing just around. The bit of neck jewellery going on. And uh, always being welcomed by very hospitable Australian women saying, welcome to our country. We love your cricket. We love the way you dance. Welcome. <laughs> Yes, just don't exceed the 15 degrees on the elbow. No, that's right. We don't want that at all. Out for 12 months. So he'll be playing as a batsman only as he was in Hobart. Hold on. When he's out for 12 months, does banned from the game or just banned from bowling? No, just banned from bowling. Right. Yeah. Because they make it sound quite kind of official. It's an illegal action. Mm. Well, I'll tell you what, international cricket, you're not a court of law. (laughs) It's not the Hague. He's been banned. It's illegal. It's it's a sport. The Brisbane Trials. (laughs) We're going to get to the bottom of illegal arm extension. And Lawrence has delivered once again. And thanks to him, we're very pleased to welcome on to Triple M Summer Breakfast, the Prime Minister of Australia. Good morning, Mr Turnbull. Good morning to you both. And, of course, Triple M rocks summer and uh, the nativity at this time of year. I'm looking forward to Christmas. And I also want to say I was listening before to all of the VCE students Good luck. Uh, remember that if you fail today, life will be difficult. Uh, I, of course, won a scholarship to Sydney University and graduated uh, in war, and that has set me up uh, to be one of the most successful people in this country. So good on you and good luck. Uh, we're very happy for you. Let's get down to business, though, Prime Minister. The Paris Agreement, we're told it is a watershed moment in the world coming together against climate change. Is it significant? I was joking before I got to Paris, Seb, and I said, normally the Paris Agreement for me is get me some top-quality foie gras or I won't pay the bill. (laughs) (laughs) But, of course, it's great not only for the planet but for economies around the world to be looking at at, uh, alternative ways of of generating power, renewables, solar, uh, wind, and, of course, we live in a windy, sunny country and we should be accessing those those things. Tony said that coal is our future and Tony isn't the Prime Minister anymore. And I think that's a, that's a sign of things to come. Well, the other exciting announcement of the past 48 hours has been the St Kilda Football Club returning to Moorabbin. Did you ever oh. visit the animal enclosure in the 1980s, Prime Minister? I, uh, I had cause to come to Melbourne on a number of occasions to uh, look after my investments down here. And also when I was the Environment Minister... But uh, back in the 80s, I enjoyed a Sunday night or a Saturday night at the St Kilda Disco. Really? I remember when uh, Silvio Fashini used to cut up the rug down there. Of course, Mark Jacko Jackson uh, was, a, was a very amusing man. Um, and I, I liked his song, I'm an individual, you can't fool me. An in the bloody vigil, you can't fool me. And good on him, wherever he is today. Good on you, Jacko. I didn't have you for a St Kilda disco operator there, Prime Minister. You learn something Absolutely. every day. Absolutely. I've, I've always enjoyed rubbing shoulders with Molly Meldrum. <laughs> and uh, once the St Kilda disco was finished, we would often uh, 
run into one another at Heath Nightclub down at uh, the casino. Really? Down but, at yes, Crown? Yes, I do enjoy uh, a dance. I can really shake it. I'm a groovy kind of a guy. Would you take Lucy down to Heat with you there at the Crown on Level 3? Well, Lucy, of course, uh, enjoys getting out and about as well, uh, and I don't go anywhere with her, um, I, without her rather. Uh, I, I, I love her and her company, and uh, no other woman interests me. So, of course, Lucy would always be riding shotgun, the Turnbulls, side by side. <laughs> Fantastic. And just to finish off, we've all been, I guess, a little bit disappointed in the efforts of mm-hmm. the West Indians down there. In Hobart, were you hoping to see a bit more from Kemar Roach and Jerome Taylor? Well, I I can't believe that those speedsters weren't happy to bowl uphill into a breeze. I mean, you have to take on a challenge. You have to innovate. You have to look at ways to the future. And uh, I say to the West Indies, uh, embrace your history and your legacy and, and move forward. Uh, be renewable, be be innovative, and be strong and robust. It's an exciting time uh, to disrupt. And what you should be trying to do is disrupt the bales of the Australian middle order. <laughs> the Prime Minister of Australia and St Kilda Disco regular, Malcolm Turnbull, thanks for joining us. Absolutely. Always a pleasure. And Triple M rocks Christmas. Do you know the Prime Minister and Silvio Vashini were mates? I didn't know that, uh, but it's a it's it's a great call by the Prime Minister. Yeah, Vinnie Dottoggio is no doubt rolling around there too. Yeah, mm. I think Silvio went from the Swans to St Kilda, so maybe Malcolm and him met when uh, they were in Sydney together. Yeah, okay. Yeah. He's done the reverse Barry Hall. Yeah, mm. that's right. We've got Jim Jeffries on the show tomorrow, the Australian comedian and superstar who's going to be at the Margaret Court Arena on April 27. Check out tickettech.com.au for that one. And that is a show that will sell out. Jim Jeffries, is, uh, he's got the world at his feet and he's taking all in front of him. He's had HBO specials. He's huge in America. And if you, if you don't know him, uh, have a look on YouTube at his gun control um Material, very funny man, mm-hmm. and we're going to be speaking to him tomorrow. We're checking in with the Richmond Football Club, also giver of great mirth to the wider society of Melbourne, mm. and uh, find out what's going on in the Chapel Street precinct, mm. <laughs> where footballers are attracted like some kind of Bermuda Triangle, yeah. are they? That situation gets more and more interesting as the days go by, Dustin mm. Martin. Lawrence, you have a spectacular Monday. Yes, you do too. And uh, I guess you'll be uh, hunting down the big stories for National 9 News, will you, Seb? Might go back to the Sandringham Yacht Club and just, uh, what was I doing before? (laughs) Getting your sloop out and hoisting your spinnaker. (laughs) Sounds painful. (laughs) From St Kilda Beach to the MTG to your best mate's barbecue. Triple M Rockets on the Triple M Rocks, yes.